minus 5, minus 4, minus 3, minus 2, X minus 1. Fire. Lights out, everybody. That creaking door. Dimension. Inner Sanctum Mystery. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sci-Fi and Horror, brought to you by Dwayne Old Time Radio. Sci-Fi and Horror features some of the best programs from the golden age of radio, including X-1, Orbiter X, Dimension X, Slot X's, Lights Out, Ray Bradbury, Dark Fantasy, and many, many more. Before we start today's Sci-Fi and Horror thriller, if you enjoy what I'm doing, let me ask you to subscribe to my channel. Subscribing is 100% free, and you will receive notifications on new posts. Lastly, if you have a moment, please write a short one or two sentence review or give a rating on your preferred podcast service. A positive review or rating would help me out a lot. And now, on to the show. And again, thank you for your support. Hope you enjoy. This week, we welcome a new series to the podcast. This series is titled Adventures and Research. It was hosted by Paul Shannon and ran from 1942 to the mid-1950s. The program highlighted true stories about real researchers and adventurers and and inventors throughout um, the world of science. Each program ran about 15 minutes. Today we will listen to episodes one and two. Episode one is titled Piece of Silk, and that episode aired February 2nd, 1943. And second is Fight Against Fire. That episode aired February, February 9th. 1943. Adventures in Research. Did you ever have one of those unpleasant nightmares in which you dream you're falling through space, hurtling earthward with nothing to stop you, and then wake up with welcome relief. The fear of falling is one of mankind's few really basic phobias. But there was a man who took much of the danger out of falling. His name was Andre Garnera, and he fell 8,000 feet through space to prove his idea of a piece of silk. This is Paul Shannon bringing you another transcribed story of science produced as a public service in cooperation with the Westinghouse Research Laboratories. And today telling you the story of Andre Garneran, the man who perfected the first parachute. The idea first came to him in his physician's office in the late 1700s. Ah, they, 
There, Andre. Uh, that, that, that should do it. If you're careful about not putting your weight on your ankle for a while. Oh, it feels much better, Doctor. How long do you think it will take my ankle to mend? Oh, now, not so fast, Andre. You have a nasty sprain there. And I suggest you keep to the ground for quite a while. But, Doctor, I intend to make a balloon ascension. Aha, as I suspected, you and those insane balloons... That's how you sprained your ankle in the first place. It was no one's fault but my own. If we had gotten rid of the ballast more quickly, we wouldn't have landed with such a jar. Ah, oh, Andre, every time physicians find a new way to keep a man alive, man invents some new way to kill himself. If you had ever been up in a balloon, Doctor, you'd realize the wonder of it. You'd see why I feel so strongly about... Hey, now there's a thought. Why don't you take an ascent with me? The next time... Oh! Aha! What did I tell you about keeping the weight off that ankle? Uh, thank you for the invitation, my friend. But I am not foolish enough to risk my neck. I have a higher regard for my life. Not like some doctors I could mention. Mm -hmm. Who is that? Oh, that fool, Lenormand. Have you heard of him? Lenormand? Dr. Lenormand? No, I do not believe... Well, I, I went to medical school with him. Even then, he was a dreamer. I thought he would outgrow it, but like yourself, he seems to want to risk his neck in some foolhardy adventure. He is a balloonist? Oh, no, no, no. He is inventing a method for saving lives in a fire. Oh, a worthy purpose, I grant you. But the way Lenormand is going about it, oh, letting his practice wither while he experiments around with this idiotic idea. Mm. Just what is this idea? Well, as he explains it to me, it is a way of rescuing people from the upper stories of a burning building. Uh, he told me, as uh, sane as you please, that he is devising a parasol of some kind uh, so people can leap to earth without injury. A parasol? Well, a, a special kind of parasol, uh, to hear him tell it. A piece of cloth uh, which would be shaped like a cone upside down. Huh? The air would fill out this cone and hold the cloth aloft. So the descent to the ground would be gradual. Uh, mind you now, I am only saying what Lenormand told me. The air would fill out the cloth and keep the person suspended beneath it so he wouldn't be dashed to the ground. Huh? Well, as I say, it is one thing to talk of such foolishness and another thing to try it. Try it? Uh... Does it work? Well, that is what Lenormand intends to find out. He intends to jump from the top of the Montpelier Observatory Tower, putting his faith in a little piece of cloth. Why, he will be dashed to bits. A piece of cloth? It just might work. I, I must see Dr. Lenormand at once. Well, I hope you can talk him out of it, Andre. Talk him out of it? Why, it's the most amazing thing I've ever heard of. Talk him out of it. I will use this idea in ballooning. Andre Ganara saw in the idea a great aid for balloonists. He was there in the crowd when Dr. Lenormand took his amazing leap from the observatory roof with a piece of oiled silk 14 feet in diameter well strapped to his person. He jumped. Surprisingly enough, landed safely. Nothing came of the idea as a fire-saving apparatus, but the remarkable leap gave more fuel to the idea in Garneran's mind. A device somewhat like it to save balloonists. 
although Leonardo da Vinci and countless other men had the same idea, none of them had ever put it into practice. Gunnera, giving his ankle time to mend, worked out a practical idea for a parachute. He then went to England to interest people in the idea. I am not interested, Mr. Gunnera. I have no faith in the device whatsoever. But it has never been tried. Using one to land from a balloon, I mean. But it was not two months ago and right here in England. Funny you didn't hear of it, Mr. Gunnera. I was in France. Probably the news... It was a chap named Arnold. He used to be a purser in the Royal Navy, as I recall. I'd like to know more about it. Well, he had a basket attached to this parachute and had one of his assistants all stretched out in the basket. The idea was to go up one mile in the balloon, cut loose the parachute, and let the basket come back down. (laughs) A big crowd turned out to see it. (laughs) He had signs all over London. See a gentleman sent down by parachute. (laughs) Well, sir, they failed to get the balloon off the ground before the assistant got pitched out of the basket. The wires let go, and there the balloon went sailing up through the air, and the parachute and the basket was left below. Uh, Mr. Arnold went up with the balloon and got pitched out in the Thames River. I figure that's the way it was meant. People and parachutes should stay on the ground. No one seemed very interested in another parachute... Not after Arnold's failure. But Andre Gunneran was determined and went ahead with his plans. Pardon, uh, you are Mr. Glorget, the, the tailor? Oh, I am. Hey, what can I do for you, sir? A new suit, perhaps? Uh, no, no, no suit. Uh, I'm interested in silk. Ah, uh, silk. Ha-ha, <laughs> the gentleman wants the shirt. Uh, no. uh, you, you're wise to come to Glorget, sir. Uh, you're, you're from France, I see, yeah. Uh? Well, you'll not find anywhere in your country such a tailor as myself. But... Now, if I can ascertain the size... I want you will... 870 square feet of silk. Uh, yes, sir. 870... What? 870 square feet? It is not for a shirt. I, I want you to sew a parachute. Uh, you, but, but I never... Well, I mean, what is it? You have to do it exactly as I say. You will be well paid for your pains. Now, first, I will need 870 square feet of silk. Now, this is to be cut according to... Andre Gonorat planned well. His parachute was designed much like modern ones. A centered disc of silk cloth bordered by 32 panels of silk strips. Instead of the cone shape, Gonorat devised a cloth which resembled an inverted cup, a cup 23 feet in diameter. Gonorat's measurements were comparable with modern parachutes, and by modern standards, he had a safe parachute. He had estimated the speed of his descent and the weight of himself and the basket that would be attached to the parachute. And one more thing, a most important addition. At the top of the canopy, I want a small hole for air to escape. Later, Andre changed his plans and closed that opening so he could attach the chute to the bottom of the balloon. But remember that small opening he had planned. It would have been better had Garnera kept to this original idea, but it's too late now. He's ready for the ascent from Volunteer Ground, London. The year is 1802. A large crowd has gathered to watch this breathtaking spectacle of a man purposely hurtling himself to earth with nothing between him and his reward but a thin wisp of silk. That's a 
that's what the fool's going to do. Going to let himself out of the balloon. Yeah, I wouldn't trust my life to a piece of cloth, mind you. Uh, Not while I have all my senses, I would. Uh, watch now. Any minute the balloon will go up. He'll start as soon as they get that fool parachute put on the bottom of it. There he that's the parachute hanging down from the bottom of the balloon. There, you see it? You see it? We'd better say a prayer for the poor blighter. As Andre Gunnaran sails toward the clouds, the crowd seems to grow quiet. From the balloon, Andre can see the vast meadows and open spaces ranging below him. He fingers the cord that connects the parachute with the balloon itself. He is up to 8,000 feet now. He takes a knife and cuts the cord that keeps the parachute aloft. Here he comes! The balloon rises sharply when freed from its load, and Garneran begins to plummet earthward. Then the parachute billows out, and his fall is checked. Now, the fall becomes gradual. And then a most unpleasant thing begins to happen. The basket in which Garnera is riding begins to swing back and forth, back and forth. At times, the basket swings so high as to be almost level with the top of the chute. Garnera swings to and fro like a human pendulum in the sky. Look at him swing! Oh, he'll be pitched right out of the basket! Mommy, he's swinging like a hammock! <laughs> Garneran is almost unconscious from the severe oscillation of the parachute. The chute sideslips rapidly toward the earth. But Garneran has presence of mind enough to throw ballast out of his pockets. This checks his descent somewhat, but he is still falling to earth at the rate of 20 feet per second. If he lands when it swings like that, he'll be smashed to bits, he will. The swinging of the parachute is now lessened as Garneran comes close to Earth after dropping 8,000 feet through space. He is ill and wobbly from the dizzy swinging, but he lands safely. Here he is! Here he is! Come on, man! Come on! He's alive! Bless you, Garneran! Bless you! Uh, uh, get, get me out of this cloth! Hey, come on, man! Come on! Get this cloth off him or he'll suffocate under it! Ah, there we are. You did it, Andre. Oh, Let me shake your hand. Oh, please, please. I, I would like to rest a bit. No, oh, that swinging up there, I, I don't feel very well. <laughs> if you don't mind, gentlemen, if I could just get some air and be left alone, I, I feel rather dizzy. Uh, uh, come on, Buckos. Uh, let's uh, hoist him up on our shoulders and carry him back to town. Uh, 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 that's it. Up you go, Andre. Oh, oh, no, 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 please. I... Uh, And so Garneran rode through space on a silken parachute, the first man to leap from a balloon and fall 8,000 feet through space and suffer no harm. The swinging of the parachute was caused mainly by the lack of an air vent to let the excess air escape through the top of the chute. Oddly enough, it was an idea which Garneran had abandoned and which nearly cost him his life. But the air vent was soon restored, and man, having conquered the skies, now conquered the journey back to Earth. <laughs> 
thanks to Andre Garnaran, who rode through space on a piece of silk in his Adventure in Research. And that's today's Adventures in Research, produced in cooperation with the Westinghouse Research Laboratories. These programs are broadcast to Armed Forces personnel overseas through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week for another transcribed story of science on Adventures in Research. Adventures in Research. One of the most familiar sounds of modern civilization is this. But the signal warning of a fire did not always sound like that. Originally, the fire alarm sounded down the streets like this. This is Paul Shannon bringing you another transcribed story of science produced as a public service in cooperation with the Westinghouse Research Laboratories. And today telling you the story of fire and the men who fought it. Fought it in the days before machines or engines or even horses. Before the white man came to America, there were fires, of course. But they posed no problem to the Indian. If he rubbed two sticks together and couldn't control the result of his labors. The village merely picked up its portable dwellings and fled the fires to a greener part of the land. But with the arrival of white men and the formation of cities, this method wasn't so easy. Some house Mr. Stewart's building, huh? Yeah, no doubt about it. It's going to be the biggest house in all New Amsterdam. Yeah? My, look at the work they're putting into it. Isn't he? Took a lot of lumber, all right. Well, one thing we got here is trees aplenty. Yes, isn't he? A couple trees alone went into that chimney. Yep, as nice a wood chimney as you'll see in the whole town. And a nice thatched roof. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Stewart's going to be mighty comfortable with a nice house like Wooden chimneys, thatched roofs, a pretty inflammable combination in New Amsterdam. And if a fire broke out... Sakes alive, Mr. Barton! The roof's the fire! Well, don't stand there gawking. Run! Run to the river and, and get a bucket of water. All right, all right. Uh, better get two... 
council will please come to order. We cannot have this constant bickering. Tis plain as the nose on your face, we have to outlaw these wooden chimneys. Twenty-seven fires in a fortnight. My dear Mayor Stuyvesant, what concern is this of ours? But twenty-seven fires. There's plenty of water. There's water all around. But and... there will not be if this keeps up. We will be draining the ocean dry. Just because you own some trees and sell wood for chimneys... It's no concern of yours, Mayor Stuyvesant, what I do. And if it's wooden chimneys they want... I'm the mayor, and I say... If the mayor is going to start saying what wood will be used for, I suggest he look at his own leg. (laughs) What if a fire starts there? (laughs) But Mayor Stuyvesant... Wooden leg and all had his way. Not only a ban on wooden chimneys, but... I hereby appoint Mr. Barden, Mr. Gorman, Mr. Bockfelt, and Mr. Dunderflag as watchful fire wardens. They will see that the ban on wooden chimneys is enforced and will be empowered to inspect all hearths and firesides to see that no flames endanger dwellings. <laughs> have you rummaging around my house. Uh, now, now, you look here. I'm a watchful fire warden. I don't I... care what you are. You won't be coming around my house again or I'll set the dogs on you. But I'm supposed to... The watchful fire wardens found their popularity decreasing and their position quite unenviable. So nothing was done about fires until one winter night in 1657 when a log rolled out of a fireplace... In the most fashionable home in the colony, the rugs were afire, the draperies aflame. Look, Baxter's house is afire. Don't stand there, stare and get a bucket. A bucket, the bucket. Somebody fetch a bucket. You got no buckets, Mister Baxter. Oh, I can't find one. I don't know what the servant did with him. Hasn't anybody got a bucket? Seem to be right scarce. Anybody got a bucket? The sight of the most palatial home in the colony burned to ashes finally aroused the citizens of New Amsterdam. Each home shall be taxed one beaver or eight guilders for the purpose of providing hooks and ladders and 250 leather fire buckets. Here you are, gentlemen, the finest leather buckets we cobblers can make. Good, good. There'll be 50 of them at Daniel's Inn, and five at Mr. Baxter's home, five at Mr. Gruller's. Oh, yes, 50 of them at City Hall. All right, now, boys, each of us in town will take his turn patrolling the streets for an hour. Now, an hour isn't much time, and if you so much as see a spark, you immediately shake the rattle like this. And when any of us hear that rattle, why, grab up what buckets you can and come a-running. When New Amsterdam became New York, there were changes in firefighting also. The rattles and the buckets were still maintained. But every household was compelled by law to own a bucket. When the fire was sighted and the rattle sounded... 
Each citizen ran to the window and threw the fire bucket out into the street. Members of the guards gathered them up and hurried off to the blaze. The men and women formed two lines between the fire and the nearest well, with one line passing along the full buckets and another returning the empty. Then, in 1731, came an Englishman named Richard Newsham. Uh, fantastic, eh? What? Uh, Newsham's machine. It, it pumps water, you know. Uh, I've heard about it. Have you noticed the new... For fires, that is. Uh, yes, so they tell me. Uh, have you seen the new material that Altmaier has? Strangest uh, contraption. Uh, you, you you pour the water into the top, and it has handles on the side. Uh, you, you you pump it, uh, like this, sort of. Uh, I've, I've heard all about it. I was asking you if... It spurts you... the water right out of it wherever you want it to uh, go. <laughs> what do you think of that now, eh? Uh, I don't know about you, but frankly, I, I'm tired of it. Oh. Two of Newsham's machines were brought to America and were soon given an opportunity to prove themselves. Yes, sir, if it hadn't been for them two fire engines, we'd really be in the soup. Jim Edwards' house caught fire, but with them two engines, we got it put out in a jiffy. Put it out before it did more than burn down Jim's house and the two next door. With fire engines like these, companies were formed. Volunteer societies that popped up all over New York. And when the fire bell sounded... Men dropped whatever they were doing, rushed to their firehouses, donned their leather hats, and dragged their pet fire engines through the streets. They even christened their engines with such names as Old Wreath of Roses, Lady Washington, Red Rover. And before long, rivalries developed which didn't hurt the fires much at all. Now listen, Farnley, and you other boys. The Polk Street boys beat us to the last three fires, and I don't like the joshing folks are giving us. Uh, me neither, Chief. None of us do. Well, what can we do? Easy. See them barrels? We'll keep them right here at the firehouse. Now, as soon as the bell rings, you fellas grab them and scamper off to the fire while the rest of us pull the wagon. Well, I don't see what good a barrel is going to do if we can't get our engine there first. Don't you see, you consigned fool? You get there and put the barrel over the fire hydrant. That way, whoever gets there first can't get to the water until we get our engine there. <laughs> Unfortunately, the fires didn't wait till the fist fight subsided. And while many fire companies turned to horsepower to pull the heavy engines, more than a few volunteer laddies of the old days refused to give up the honor of pulling them by manpower. But scientific progress did not wait on personal honor or sentiment. Early in the 19th century, steam was used to operate a fire pump, and vehicles were built with both pump and boiler mounted on a wagon. By the time of the great Chicago fire, most of the companies used steam fire engines. Another great contribution to firefighting 
was the flexible hose, which permitted the fighters to park the engine far enough from the blaze to keep it from burning, too. And a still later development was the suction hose. With motorized fire engines, science progressed even further and developed new methods of pumping. The rotary-type gear is a positive-action pump which will draw water from a depth of 20 to 25 feet without being primed. Another type, the centrifugal pump, is also used. And piston pumps are very satisfactory under some conditions. But firefighters work with more than water. From the chemistry laboratories come new methods. Where water is scarce, soda acid engines can be used. Now, these are vessels with a solution of bicarbonate of soda dissolved in water, along with a separate cylinder of sulfuric acid. The sulfuric acid is discharged into the bicarbonate of soda solution. This reaction forms carbonic acid under pressure, which forces the solution through the hose. And foam chemical engines, which operate much as the soda acid engines, except that the acid ingredient is a solution of aluminum sulfate dissolved in water. To this, a stabilizing solution is added to make the bubbles and foam tougher. Now, this foam adheres to any burning surface, even on a vertical wall or to a ceiling. Also, it can float on any inflammable liquid. fight against fire goes on. And though flames still consume millions of dollars a year, sending life and property up in smoke, man is winning his fight against fire. And he is doing it because scientific principles and techniques have replaced the crude firefighting methods of early America to make a never-ending adventure in research. Today's Adventures in Research, produced in cooperation with the Westinghouse Research Laboratories. Programs are broadcast to Armed Forces personnel overseas through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week for another transcribed story of science on Adventures in Research. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy what I'm doing, I ask you to please subscribe to my channel or channels.
you can also go to my website where you can listen to all of my podcasts for free. You can also download them for free. And there is donation information on the website. If you feel like you would like to show some support for what I'm doing, you can email me. I'm sorry. The website is otr.duane.media. And my email is info at otr.duane.media. And my Instagram is duane.otr. Well, hope you enjoyed. And until next time, stay safe. Wish you well. Peace.